You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, the 28th of January, 2015. My name's Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. And Asha King. Thanks for having me back, guys. How's your week been, guys? It has been pretty good. Actually, we got some listener feedback, Asha, that without you, there wasn't sufficient vocal colour in the podcast. I don't know. I think it may be a mix of accents, or Harry and I were accused of being quite... It was quite technical banter, and I think you're you're like the colour guy. Nice. Nice. In listener defence, you both sound very similar. Untrained what, because we don't have accents and you do? Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been up to this week, Asher? You've uh, been surfing a lot? No, sadly I haven't. I've been on a bit of injured reserve this week. What happened? I uh, got in a little bit of a motorbike wreck last Saturday. Boom. Foot's got- a little cut up, got a couple stitches, but I'm, uh, I'm on the mend. See, that's because Harry's on skateboards, you're on motorbikes... I'm just nicely sitting quietly in my living room in front of the computer, briefly, <laughs> briefly wandering over to the to the kettle. So, I uh, I'm I'm better. I'm good. You're all good to go. Yeah, are we so. after after we've recorded here? Are we going to drive north and try and get some waves? I think yeah. we should. You posted a picture on Instagram this morning that was awesome. Did you take that this morning? Yeah. So what happened? Oh, I just took the dog for a walk this morning, and I was about halfway along the beach, and there was family were uh, sort of standing around this nest as it was all bubbling over. Oh, the um, turtles? Yeah, little baby turtles all, all popping out the ground. And uh, so I sort of stood and watched for a while, and then they said, oh, we've got to go to work. Can you, um, can you watch them, make sure they get to the water, and the dogs don't eat them? So uh, I sat there for about half an hour and just made sure all these sort of 20 or 30 little baby turtles made it to the water. That was cool, and the little one that you picked up that you got a photo of is amazing. It looks like a little sort of alien robot dinosaur baby. They are quite creepy looking. <laughs> they are just bizarre. Alien robot dinosaur yes, baby. Yes, yeah, you can have that. I painted a very vivid picture in my head. I haven't seen the picture yet. I want to go look at it now. Although I don't, when you pick them up, is this, is this just folk wisdom? Isn't there a thing like you shouldn't pick them up because then they, or is that like helping a chick yeah, get, out of its egg? Confused. No, wait. You're, I'm, um, get, I'm what, getting confused. I think the advice for turtles is that they, you're meant to allow them to walk uh, down the beach and into the water because the walking on the land um, exercises their lungs and gets them ready to be in the water. Oh, if, so it's just you, a little uh, warm-up for yeah, them. Yeah, if, if, if you just pick them up and put them in the ocean, like yeah. straight out of the egg, their lungs aren't necessarily able to cope with swimming and being tossed around in the white water. I remember, I, I remember doing a lesson a few years ago, and it was a bit of a bigger day at Plague Guiones, and there was a family that uh, of sort of entry-level surfers, and they were trying to paddle out the back, and it was quite big. I wasn't sure if they were going to make it, and I said, look, we'll give it a go, and if we don't make it, you know, we'll come back and have a bit of a rest and a regroup on the beach. And we were just sitting after attempt number one, ten minutes in, and they are all panting on the beach, and this load of little turtles just hatched next to us, and all these tiny little turtles just kind of went down the beach, about 20 or 30 of them, into the water, paddle straight out the back through the surf. And I was like, come on, guys, they were just born and they've paddled out. <laughs> we can do this. They got the turtle roll down. Exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. Actually, funny, they don't. Because yeah. if, if they get... If they, <laughs> funny thing about that. Funny thing about that. If, if, when it's, yeah, they actually do duck dives. If, 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 Which if, is ironic, because if you see a duck... It's, it's always a, a turtle roll. Always so doing a turtle roll. <laughs> <laughs> We need to set these guys straight. You, you've had a pretty busy week this week, Ru? 
Given the ecological catastrophe, which is looming like a tidal wave over us as a species, uh, the, the despotism and corruption, which is undermining political systems throughout Asia, the right-wing extremism, which has risen in the wake of the Charlie Hebdo shootings in response to the religious fundamentalism which caused it, Rob and Dom, a charming producer and cameraman from CNN, could be forgiven for scratching their heads this week and wondering why they had been sent to Costa Rica to interview me about running a surf coaching resort. How long did you spend writing that? That was a good <laughs> sentence. Did you like that sentence? It didn't sound pre-prepared at all. <laughs> it's quite a run-on. Actually, if they were bewildered and confused at why they were here to interview me, they didn't show it. They were absolutely charming. Really interesting people. They'd been shooting out in Afghanistan and Iraq and all kinds of stuff. And they wanted to come down and interview me about Surf Simply and how you sort of turn a passion into a into a business oh, and, cool. and actually for my for my little segment a little bit later on I thought I would share some of the things that ended up cropping up in in our conversation that's very cool did they um did they fly all the way to Costa Rica just to come to Nassau yeah. I think I think they were saying they, they'd come down they were doing they were going through Costa Rica and a couple of other countries in Central America and they were they were getting lots of footage for lots of different programs they're shooting two series one's called passion portfolios which is all about people who've turned their passions into businesses and then the other one is something blue zone uh it was all about centenarians and apparently there's these different parts of the world where people consistently live to over 100 and they're making a series that's trying to piece together you know why why it's happening you said to me that they're doing a whole load of stuff for different cnn programs and going home with a data stick full of stuff they take it all back to their producer i think and they just give him all the footage they've got and he decides whether or not they're going to use any of it so i don't know if we're going to end up on cnn but hopefully we'll it would be kind of cool i think i tell you what was funny they did a big interview with me on the beach and then they wanted to get shots to use as fillers of me presumably looking sort of smugly content with my life in costa rica (laughs) so you know they were like can you just sort of turn and look at the sun turn back to the camera sort of smile and then walk to this x near the camera Uh, and you had to do it like 20 times The big story this week, obviously, the sad death of Ricardo de Santos, and I think you, you've looked into this a little bit for us, Asha. Yeah, the whole surfing world was pretty shocked this week with the death of Ricardo de Santos. He he taken from us at uh, at 24 years old, so that's pretty young, and he, he had a pretty illustrious career for somebody dying that young. He's one of the preeminent two riders in the world, not just out of Brazil, and he really kind of squashed the stereotype that Brazilians don't charge in big waves. I mean. The, the guy was incredible. He won Wave of the Winter. Yeah, he cup. won it last year. He won the 2013 Wave of the Winter. Yeah, that was, and that was like a big pipe bomb, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was mental. What I remember most for was that performance in the Billabong Pro Tahiti. I think it was two years ago where he won the AI Award. And yeah. So he was kind of the hardest charger of the event. Was, was that the heat where he knocked out Slater? He sort of did a Slater yeah, on he, Slater. He out-Slatered Slater. He nice. got it in the last minute. and the, Yeah, beat him. Awesome. He ended up getting put out in, I think, the quarterfinals. But it was, a, it was a heat where he had like two high nines and then Mick Fanning had a high nine and a ten. And it wasn't super big choppy, was it? But he got that really, really long ride where Slater was just a bit deep and he took off kind of in front of him. And yeah. then he got like three sections and... Uh, I remember he got interviewed by um, GT afterwards. He was horrific. Whatever happened to GT? <laughs> no, but he was so bad at doing those interviews. Yeah, it was a little awkward, wasn't it? It was kind yeah. of like a, having given a teenager a microphone. But uh, back on the topic of uh, Dos Santos, yeah, the details of how he died were kind of murky even a week after uh, he passed away. I know he was shot by an off-duty police officer. That 
theme kind of keeps coming up. But He's a military police officer. Yeah, military police officer. But uh, there's a couple different stories published that uh, one, he was stopping a group of guys that were just openly using drugs on the beach right by his house. And the other was there was a car parked right in front of his uncle's house and he was doing some construction work on it and he asked the guy to move. But all the accounts kind of consistently between them, the guy was just off their head. So it sort of sounds like it wasn't any kind of premeditated thing he, he oh, just ended not. up asking someone to stop doing something annoying and they just flipped out and shot him i think the the last report i saw a couple of days ago where the, the, a little bit more detail came out and they, these guys were, were parked up in front of his house and they were blocking access to a pipe that uh, ricardo and his dad were working on um and they went over to ask it to move and that that seems to that story seems to be backed up by most of the Mm-hmm. eyewitnesses apart from the two guys in the car that shot him yeah <laughs> who who have a different story and say it was self-defense um but it seems odd that it would be self-defense given that it's now come out that he was shot in the back yeah i think that's kind of an issue where he's from too i know he's uh, he's from uh, guardia do embu which is a little bit south of florinopolis in brazil he before he died he's a real champion for the area about uh kind of overdevelopment oh really like more than anything unregulated development i think there's a lot of unsightly buildings and it kind of expanded too fast and it's left some really bad slums but yeah i know yeah uh, he was pretty active in writing letters to politicians about the areas from and uh taking to social media a lot it's a shame that that's a i don't know the slums that it created is kind of what ended up getting him there's a lot of surfers that posted stuff on social media about him uh, there was a lot of Instagram posts about him yeah, he's obviously that. a very liked and respected guy from all of oh, his yeah. peers i think you always get that no, no one's ever going to talk bad about someone that's uh, that dies dies young, are they? No, uh, that's true. Uh, you know, th- there was there was an awful lot of rumours about Andy Irons' life, and then when he died, they quietly disappeared. Yeah, in, I mean, in the mist of praise. What what's the point in speaking ill of the dead, like the old saying goes? Plus, I think when, once people die, you can confidently say good things about them because you know they're not going to go and like mess up and do something bad. You've always, <laughs> exactly. If you're saying good things about people that are still alive, you've always got to just be wary of what they might get caught doing a little bit later. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I thought what Kelly Slater said was quite was quite nice actually, and summed the whole thing up quite well. Yeah, it was. Beautiful morning, but I was horrified to realise everyone was paddling out to pipe to form a circle in remembrance of my friend Ricardo dos Santos, who passed away in hospital after being shot three times yesterday in Brazil. Ricardo was truly one of the great barrel riders of his short time. Myself and a few others learned that the hard way against him at Chopu and a couple of a couple of years back when he won the Andy Irons Award in the event. He also won Wave of the Winter in 2013 for a crazy barrel at Pipeline and was a regular standout in any barreling or heavy conditions around the world. This was truly a senseless loss of life and unfortunately brings to light the number of murders yearly in each in Brazil officially documented at over 50,000, with many thousands more going unreported. Lack of education, poverty and drugs don't make for a good mix and make life challenging in this country. One of the most beautiful and scariest places I've ever been. Condolences to Ricardo's family and and friends and family around the world. Our small community has lost another way too soon. I feel that sums it all up quite well and I thought that was interesting what he said about Brazil being uh, one of the most beautiful and scariest places that he's ever been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all want to offer our condolences to Ricardo's families and friends. And uh, yeah, we're really sorry about the loss. Absolutely. So we're well into 2015 now. We've had a few contests underway. My Facebook feed has been pretty filled up over the last couple of weeks with posts from the WSL. 
a lot of which seems to be not quite link bait, but definitely every time you click on it, it takes you through to the WSL website. And I don't know if they're trying to build their page rank for the new web address or, or, or what's going on. But have you and, guys been seeing a lot of posts? Yeah, and just for any listeners that this is, are just listening to this now and don't know the backstory, the WSL is the new name for the ASP for the for 2015, the World, World Surf, League. Surf League. The World Surf League, it yeah. It's not a wrestling federation. No. <laughs> Sounds like a group of Avengers that surf but would also protect us from <laughs> invading hordes from another world if required. I like that. I think Kelly would protect us. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> um... But no, I wanted to talk through some of the some of the stuff. The WSL is obviously their big pushes to try and increase the audience and get more people excited about surfing. And my feeling has been that the way that they've been pushing the surfing has been not that well thought through and not that coordinated. And, and it really kind of came to a head today and they, they sent out a post, which I thought sounded quite fun. It was the best claims of 2014. I thought, this is going to be good. Like, first of all, if people are claiming, they're going to be good waves. And secondly... I love a good claim. Do you remember the video that they put out at the end of the Chopu contest that was just the best claims of Chopu? Best claims of Chopu. That was it. That was an excellent little video. I don't know, actually, I don't know if it was the WSL or someone else that right. put that out. Right, now you bring me to an interesting point, because that was put out by Billabong, because it was still a Billabong event. And what ah. they did was they edited down a two or three minute video with the waves, the claims, like one, one big thing all the way through. The thing that I got sent through to on the WSL homepage today was just individual waves, each one on a page, and it was all sort of linked through with some horrible clunky flash. I don't watch any of it. it well, was, because it was, it was just too difficult to navigate it. It was so mean? fiddly to navigate it, and they they just basically pulled the footage down from the broadcast for each wave individually. They had done no editing to put it all together, and it, it was just it wasn't a watchable... Clickbait. So, so, but I mean, well, is that, that is that a problem of, of how they're actually trying to market surfing and how they're trying to put it across, or is that just a little engineering problem with their well, website? Well, so that that's that one thing there, but it's what I've seen almost every time I've followed links through from the WSL, and that, you know, something's happened. They've posted something about it. I've gone through to the website, and it's been very difficult for me to actually watch what they're putting out and what they've put out. They don't really seem to have put, you know, a, a media student, study student should have been able to put a better presentation together. Yeah, their content does seem a little funny. Do any of y'all follow their Instagram feed? Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. There's yeah, no real strange. narrative to it. It's almost like, I don't know, it's random. Some of it's promoting their athletes and their contests, but some of them's a pretty sunset with a palm tree. Yeah. And the- hashtag sunset, hashtag insta mood. It looks like a bit of a sixteen-year-old girl is. Well, it looks <laughs> like someone running their Instagram. It looks like someone's just done has read one blog post on how to run an Instagram feed and is just trying to do the ten points that it says <laughs> in the blog post about how to run an Instagram feed. It's one of those ten points post a sunset. <laughs> yeah, sunset. <laughs> Maybe. It doesn't matter with our social media. It doesn't matter how long I spend thinking about interesting, engaging surf coaching related concepts and how they can be visually represented on different forms of social media. Sunset, bang, every time. Every time wins. <laughs> Everyone loves the sunset. But no, back to, back to that post. You know, if I'd gone through and there'd been a nice little YouTube or a Vimeo clip that someone had spent five minutes editing together some cool claims from 2014, first of all, I'd have watched it. Secondly, I'd probably have told you guys to go and watch it. And thirdly, I'd probably have posted a link to it on my own Facebook page because I'd have thought it was cool. As it was, I just moved straight on and left the page with a, a bad feeling about the WSL. I think there's, there's two things. Number one, the WSL. This is, I think both of these things are true for any business, actually. There should be some kind of narrative. The whole point of social media is that 
the your users are connected directly to you, not through magazines, through TV programs. It's like you, the guy running the at the WSL, and you, you know yeah. the actual user. And so it should feel very personal. It shouldn't feel too polished and contrived. And obviously, you must have good photos because whether it's Facebook or Instagram or even Twitter, photos are the most important thing. The quality mm-hmm. of the images. But, you know, there's got to be a narrative there. There's got to be a story. You've got to feel like, oh, I'm getting a little glimpse behind the curtain of what's going on at the WSL. And they post pictures of J-Bay, like, in the middle of the winter, like a contest that was six months ago. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like they've got a computer algorithm picking random photos and just posting them with what they think are popular hashtags. Yeah. You know, I'd love to hear what a, what a non-surfer or someone just becoming interested in surfing would think about their feed. Because us three are all very interested in the sport of surfing, and we know when all these contests are. Other than the videos that you said were just clickbait, the pictures they post, I mean, they're pretty pictures. I wonder if they're hooking in the non-surfer that the market they're trying to get into. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. There's this old um, adage by this guy called Seth Godin, who's this sort of marketing guru guy, and uh, and, and he, he says a lot of stuff. But one thing that he said is, is really, really true and powerful. He said that when you're trying to market your business you should find you should think of it like you want to get 100 people really really passionate about what you do because if you can get 100 people passionate about what you do they'll tell their friends just give them a story give them a narrative they'll share it with people and and it just grows and grows and grows that's much better than trying to think oh I want to get 10,000 people vaguely interested in what I do because they won't share it and it'll just stop and I think maybe that's the mistake that the WSL is making with with They're Instagram. trying to get the 10,000? Yeah, they're trying to go to some, like a sunset that might be viewed by 10,000 people who go, oh, a nice sunset and what they should be doing is imagining there's 100 people following on Instagram who are frothing over the whole WSL, the tour, the competitive surfers and then give them the behind the scenes narrative, give them the drama. That's ultimately going to be a much better long-term strategy so in like my a- opinion. So kind of like the Red Bull 21 Days. 21 Days is a perfect example. It's, it's something that's been edited together. Someone's taken a lot of very good footage, but they've built a story. They've done the interviews. And for three weeks running up to the major events, they build the hype. They build the expectation of people coming in. And Red Bull doesn't even sponsor most of the events. I know they do do a good job and one thing I really like is that they take a lot of the blue collar competitive surfers and they suddenly make you more familiar with them I don't know did you guys see the the last one that just came out in the run up to the Volcom Pipe Pro last week they did uh, Makua Rothman Ezekiel Lau Kalani Chapman and Jamie O'Brien what did I say Makua's little brother that's right Man, that kid charges. He certainly does. It was yeah. cool seeing Zeke Lau training as well. He is one scary-looking dude. Yeah. that's His training regime was scary-looking. I was watching it on the sofa, feeling tired just watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's training for NFL football as opposed to a surf contest. Yeah. The other thing that the ASP, this has been a, a, a gripe of mine for years and years and years with the ASP. They always produce the, the highlight reels. Mm-hmm. of the day or the highlight of the heat or the highlight of the, the round or whatever. And it's a couple of waves being surfed set to music. There's no narrative, there's no nothing to it. And the only way you can get the narrative is to go and do the heat on demand thing and watch the whole 30-minute heat to try and see what's going on. Which So basically, unless you watch a surf contest in real time, you have no idea what happens. And I'd like to comment that it is pretty bad music that they send those videos to. There's no way I'm watching that before I go surf. It's like soccer games. You get the uh, like the 20 minute version of the game, 
Yeah, or even the five minute. You know, you watch match of the day, you get a five minute roundup of a, a, an unimportant game. Yeah, and I mean that's perfect because not everyone can actually put their entire life on hold for three days to watch a surf contest. Although, having said that, that is one of the things I love about surf contests. You know, Andy Zaltzman, who, who does the, the Bugle, yeah. yeah, who does the Bugle podcast with John Oliver. He's if you haven't heard that podcast, it's very very funny. But he was he does another podcast just about Test cricket, which is the most boring sport that exists without any doubt at all. If you're not familiar with Test cricket, it's basically cricket, which in itself isn't that engaging, and it lasts for five days. And quite often you don't even have a winner and he said and I've never really got it and what he said was I can just put work on hold I put my relationships on hold I put all major financial decisions on hold and I just watch cricket for five days and that's something I love about surf contests I I legitimately I'm like okay the, the email inbox is shut down now for the next eight hours and you can sort of fall asleep for an hour wake up and you might have only missed a couple of heats of round one. <laughs> you know? I love that strategy. Well, yeah. I, ga- I gave up on the idea of trying to actually answer emails at the same time as uh, having the contest done in the background because I ended up typing came. into emails parts of the commentary. <laughs> you, put that, you put that life on hold. Yeah, exactly. And one other thing I'd really like is if, you know, when the, when the contests are happening in, in a different time zone and you want to watch it, but you just want to start the whole thing like four or five hours later, sometimes it's really hard to find that on YouTube. They make it so that the link is unsearchable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super annoying. So you, you have to save the link from the previous day. You have to find it while it's running, save it, and then reload it again the next day. It doesn't just say, if you want to watch yesterday's stream live click here you know that would be such an obvious function for people who don't want to stay up until four o'clock in the morning yeah absolutely i guess their hope there is that you're going to use the heat on demand function yeah i guess so the heat on demand function kind of it tells you the result of the heat that you can see the final point total at the end i've I've got my whole technique down now when i know i can't watch it so i I copy and paste the the youtube url never the one on the actual website because i don't want to have all the headlines and scores showing up Mm -hmm. then shrink the window right down the browser window paste it in and then just slowly expand the window until i can just see the screen but none of the comments underneath it then put my hand over the top left hand corner as i scroll forward or backwards through the stream so that i can't see the scores and the times in the top left (laughs) you've done this once or twice huh the narrow narrative is important and it wouldn't it wouldn't take very long to take the footage you know take the best couple of waves take the events take some footage of them paddling in and paddling out and have some media studies intern edit it together and just oh well kelly caught this wave then joel caught this one then there was a bit of a paddle battle and suddenly it becomes watchable suddenly it becomes something you actually want to to take an interest in and a, a heat that doesn't have again like you said the blue collar surfers Suddenly a heat between two blue-collar surfers can become interesting if the narrative's good. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there's a lot more potential for doing interesting commentating in that context, too, because you don't have to fill in 15 minutes where there's no waves. Absolutely. I feel like what they should do is take the highlights of a heat, and then they should have one of the commentators who was commentating the whole day anyway just re-commentate the audio for that heat. Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. And the thing is, they do something very similar. They sell a package to ABC Television, which is broadcast about three weeks after the event finishes. And we actually met the guys on the beach in France that were going around and filming the filler shots. Do you remember oh, the, the couple the, of guys in came the bunker? Down, yeah. yeah, the couple of guys that came down with red cams and things. Yeah. So they were getting the shots that were going to be put together as filler footage with all the 
contest action with the commentary, with the narrative that was going to be put together into a 90-minute package that was the ASP surf contest in France. I guess it's a, the problem that they have is putting that stuff together on the fly because what you want, you want to come in and you want to just watch it at the end of the day but before the next day's action starts. Yeah, mm. it's, but other, other sports are able to do that. Other professional sports can do that. And, and the ASP obviously had people doing that reasonably on the fly because someone gets a wave and within 10 seconds you're looking at a slow motion replay. That's true. I also think that's incredible how they do that. Those that, The guys that we met that were the videographers for the ASP and were going around the world with them, they looked pretty strung out and exhausted. Yeah, they've been on the road. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like they're trying to sell surfing, and in particular they're trying to sell surfing to a non-surfing audience or at least a non-competitive surfing engaged audience. And I don't feel they're doing it in a, a good way. They're just showing clips of people catching waves. They're showing unedited, unbroadcastable almost material. And then hoping that we're going to keep going back to the WSL webpage to see more rubbish. I would just slightly disagree with you and say, actually, I think they're doing a really, really good job. But there are things they could do better. Oh, overall, you know what I mean? overall, I would agree. I think the ASP and now the WSL are doing a good job to try and bring more people in. But I do feel that the, the social media campaign, which I think will be the thing that really makes a difference... In the, in the long run, other than bringing in other sponsors. That social media campaign right now is not doing them any credit. So, to round up, I'm very excited about the upcoming WSL contest season. I'm really looking forward to some great contests. But I'm hoping that the WSL can up their game with the content that they're delivering outside of the live stream broadcast. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. So this week I was talking with the guys from CNN, as I mentioned earlier, about you know turning Surf Simply into a business. And uh, the conversation that we had ended up throwing up some really interesting points. And I thought there's probably a lot of our listeners out there for whom surfing is a big part of their life and would probably want to be able to make it into a business. So I thought I'd share some of the thoughts that, that, that I had. Based on the number of people that have uh, emailed us trying to sell us T-shirts and... <laughs> Yeah. Various other products. I think there's a lot of people who are interested and in who could really use some help with how to uh, promote their product. How many messages did you get this week that started with the line? You probably get a lot of messages like this, but <laughs> could you link to my page? We did. We had uh, when I went through them the other day, we had 85 messages, of which three were of any relevance. <laughs> Okay, so the place that I'd like to start is with a video that's been going around YouTube that I'm sure a lot of people have seen. It's an Alan Watts quote, and, uh, and it's usually put over music and some sort of footage of people doing things that illustrate the quote. And the, the, it's about sort of five or six minutes long. If you type Alan Watts, um, money is the most important thing, or searching for a career or something like that into YouTube, you'll find it pretty quickly. Okay. But basically, the thrust of what he's saying is, do whatever you want as if money was no object. Because if you're passionate about what you do, if you do what you enjoy, then you'll become really good at it. And there's always going to be someone else out there who's passionate about the same thing and is willing to pay you for doing what you are really good at. Mm -hmm. And so you'll always make a living out of it. And he says it all in a very beautiful and eloquent way. And it's very inspiring. And I do kind of partly agree with him. But I think there's two big problems with what he's saying. The first one is... People aren't very good at knowing what it is that they will enjoy. There's some really good uh, research by a psychologist called Dan Gilbert, and he's done a brilliant TED talk called "The Surprising Science of Happiness." Mm -hmm. And what what you kind of what you see with all this data, and this isn't just sort of my opinion. There's good scientific data on this. Is that people are very bad at estimating? Oh, if I if I do this or have this, then I'll I'll be happy. 
for example, if you become a quadriplegic or if you win the lottery, about a year after either of those two things happen, you're likely to end up to a same baseline level of happiness that you had before that started. And I I know that's really, really counterintuitive. But, you know, a lot of people that I speak to who who want to start businesses, and I get approached a a fair bit, you know, sort of a person or two every month usually asks me about starting a business. And, you know, they maybe they love cooking or poetry or horse riding or painting. And they think, oh, I'd love to do this all day and, and make this my job. And actually, it's like, well, would you really? I mean, I love cooking, but I think if I was cooking for 10 or 15 hours a day and I had to, would I all, you know, really still enjoy it? So I think that's the yeah. first thing to think about. And I think the first thing you've got to do is, is go and do that thing for long periods of time and do it with an open mind and think, look, maybe this isn't going to be as, as cool as I thought it was. Yeah, and I, I guess the other side to that, and this might be what you're about to say, but is that making a business out of something doesn't necessarily mean that you spend the whole day doing the thing that you, you know, I'm a, I'm a surf coach, but that doesn't mean I spend all day surfing. Well, that's true. And I'll come back to that in a second. The other thing I was going to address with the Alan Watts quote is that he, he sort of has this assumption that people are going to pay you for what you do if you're really good at it. And that just sadly isn't always the case. Yeah. And you really do have to sit down and figure out how your passion is going to make you money. Otherwise, what you've got is a hobby, not a business. And when I sit down with people who want to know how to turn their passion, whatever it is, painting or Pilates, into a business. And the first thing I'll say to them is, okay, we'll sit down, do a spreadsheet, do your profit and loss for the year, you know, three years, five years, put a few variables in there. Google Sheets is a fantastic tool. It's free. You can spend it. You can watch a YouTube video of how to use it. In about two minutes, you can learn how to do a profit and loss spreadsheet going forward a couple of years. And I always say to people, you know, that's what you have to do. Otherwise, it's just a hobby. It's not a business, which is great, but you're not Mm going to make any money. And they always kind of roll their eyes and go, yeah, 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 I know all that. But like, what's the secret? What's the magic? And it's like, so I think that's really important. The other thing that you mentioned, you know, uh, when you're starting a business, you don't always do end up doing the thing that you thought you were going to be doing most of the time. And that's definitely true. Like I started Surf Simply because I was really passionate about surfing and about surf coaching. And actually, most of what I do now is managing people. We've got 26 people who work at the resort. And that's been something that I've had to learn since starting Surf Simply like eight years ago. And surprisingly, I actually get more of a kick out of doing that and the people that I work with now than even the surf coaching, you know, which I also still really enjoy. But working together as part of a team and I mean, we all work together along with everyone else. And, you know, everyone at Surf Simply is pretty much like my best friends. And we all go on holiday together and we work together. And, and you it's know, that's quite really creepy cool. in a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another thing to think about, going back to the money thing, is that when you're thinking about how your your business is going to make money, it doesn't always make money in the place that you think it's going to. You guys know Best Buy in the States? I'm sure you do, Asha. Yeah, very familiar with it. So Best Buy, you probably think, makes money by selling electrical goods, but it doesn't. It's actually an insurance company. It sells electrical goods at almost no profit, and it makes all its money off selling the warranties, the one, two-year, three-year warranties, on the electrical goods that people buy really cheaply in there because they're not making much money on it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so the money isn't always where you think it is. Maybe you blow glass and that's your passion and you think, well, how can I turn this into a business? Well, maybe the best way to do it is to, for example, start a little coffee shop with a big glass wall at one end and you make your glass behind the wall and people come to the coffee shop where they're drinking out of glasses that you've blown and they can buy stuff. But really, they're coming to the coffee shop because they get to sit there and and have their coffee and watch Watch someone making this amazing stuff while they're eating. And actually, the, the restaurant makes all the money. You don't make much money off selling the glass, but still, you've turned your passion 
into, into a business. business. Yeah. So yeah, the, the money isn't always where you think it is. And I just think that's an important thing to look at as well. And then once you get your business going, this is a really good quote. Running a business is the ongoing management of daily disasters and trying to stop them being too <laughs> catastrophic. I, I think that's, that's a pretty good way of describing what you're doing. You constantly have problems. You've just got to make sure none of them actually end your business and you just manage all of them as best you can. And you just try and make sure that you're always making little incremental improvements. And every decision that you have to make, whether it's an improvement or solving a problem, and this is the best lesson that I've learned, is make sure all those decisions are made by data. Don't go with your gut. Don't go with your feeling, your intuition, right? That's for like uh, lovers, 80s cops in badly written TV dramas, <laughs> and maybe like alternative medicine practitioners. Go with what the data says. You'll sleep better, you'll make better decisions. And then if you do make a bad decision for your business, you'll look back and say, well, you know what? I made the best decision I could given the data that I had at the time. I, I, couldn't, have, I couldn't have made a better decision. So I think that's an important thing to think about. And as I mentioned before, the people that you work with is, I think, the absolute key. Someone said to me, it's much better to hire good people than to train bad people. And that's absolutely true, I think. Uh, I mean, we've had different people coming through Surf Simply and, and the team that we've got now, I think, is the best team that we've ever had. But I've really focused on who I hire. We get probably like two or three job applications a week. And um, yeah, and just getting the good people in is, is everything. You can, if someone's 99% of the way to being really good at their job before they get there and you just train them the technicalities and what you want them to do, that's fine. If, if someone's like only 50% of the way there, you're never going to drag them all the way. Which brings me on to another point about the people that are working for you. And that's that there's this common misnomer in business that one, if you pay people more, they'll work harder. And two, if people are good at their job, you should promote them. Mm-hmm. Now, both of those things are actually wrong. Hmm. If people are paid more, they won't actually be better at their job. People basically work really, really hard and do a great job because it's too difficult for them not to, because emotionally they want to do a good job. They Mm -hmm. want to be proud of what they do. And then what you should do is you pay those people as much as you possibly can so they don't go and do an amazing job somewhere else. But you can't take someone who's not doing a good job and say, hey, look, if I pay you more, are you going to step up to these responsibilities? Yeah, because how hard they're working is going to be based on their psychology. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The other thing is quite interesting. It's called the Peter Principle. Have you guys ever heard of this? Yeah. So you you keep promoting someone until they can't do the job. Exactly. This is Ah. that how this is like when you have the traditional big top down business, everyone who's good at their job, you're great in the mailroom, you get posted to being manager of the mailroom, you're great being manager of the mailroom, you get posted up the next level. And the point is with each position, usually like you pointed out, Harry, it's a different skill set. When you're working in the mailroom, maybe you're really, really uh, detail orientated about organizing the letters and running around the corridors and delivering them quickly. When you're manager of the mailroom, you're organizing people, which maybe you're terrible at. So the Peter principle is the idea that everyone gets promoted until eventually they get to a position where they're not good at their job, and then that's where they stay indefinitely. So if you have a company where people get promoted until they're not good at their job, you end up with a company full of people that aren't good at their job. So yeah, sometimes if someone's really good at their job, you know, ask them if they actually want to do something different. And it might be the right thing to do is just pay them as much as you can pay them as if they were going to be promoted, but keep them doing doing what it is that they're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or take the skill set that they're good at and see where else you can use that skill set within the company. Yeah. When you come to marketing, we were talking about that a little bit before that idea of just imagine there's 100 people out there that you want to make passionate about your business. Don't try and 
you know, have 10,000 or 100,000 likes on Facebook and Instagram because it doesn't really mean anything. Just tell a story and make it so that 100 people are passionate and they want to share your story with other people. And and I say a story, not just tell them about your business because you want to give people something that they can tell other people over dinner. That's a really good way of thinking about it. You don't yeah. want to just be like, oh, um, you know, this girl, Sarah, she blows glass. Yeah, she blows glass in New York. There's nothing there to tell. But if you're, you're like, well, she's got this restaurant and there's this big wall and you can have your food and you can watch her blowing glass behind. And this one time we were watching her and the glass fell on the floor and smashed and she picked it up, remelted it and started working it again. You've given people a story. So yeah, that's, I think that's a really good lesson as well. Having said all of that, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, there is an element of luck. You know, if you read the biography of any successful businessman, they'll tell you that at any point it could have failed were it not for a little bit of good luck. I've been really, really lucky. I haven't been hit by a car and had a broken leg right when I needed to be coaching for eight hours a day. Yeah. Uh, none of the problems that have faced us have been catastrophic. We've been able to negotiate and navigate all of them to get Surf Simply to where it is today. I think that I'm very, very lucky. The people that I work with are some of my best friends and I wouldn't swap my job for anything in the world. So, on to the forecast then. Uh, the Pacific to start with. We've got uh, the current run of swell coming down. The swell that was meant to uh, fire off the Eddie Cow and the Jaws paddling event, but then didn't quite fill through, has nevertheless been delivering some pretty good swell through California and all the way down through Central America. That's going to be in the water for the next day, a couple of days. There's then a smaller swell again coming in from the north. Uh, and it's going to run down the west coast uh, of the Americas, so hopefully something from that. There's also a south swell, slightly out of season, but a, a good solid south swell. And by the time it gets up to Central America, it's going to have a pretty long period. We're looking 18 to 20 second period um, through the middle of next week. So that could actually be pretty exciting. So what we're really saying, Harry, is that for all our listeners in Europe, North America and Australia, we've got listeners in Australia, we just want to say to all of those people, we're going to get some quite good waves here. (laughs) (laughs) The Indian Ocean, there is some swell on its way. Indonesia and Western Australia should get a little bit of swell uh, around Monday or Tuesday next week, but there's two very tight, low pressure, um, not quite cyclones, but not far off in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And they're going to mess it up, send a lot of choppy wind swell in with it. So I don't know whether it's going to be as good as it might be. We've got very big, low pressure sitting over Scotland at the moment. That is going to send some big waves into Ireland and Scotland, but there's a lot of wind with it as well. So I'm not sure if that's going to do much. We might get, uh, if you could get down to the Canaries. Um, and, and North Africa, maybe there's going to be a little bit of swell off that, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be too choppy to, to do anything very much. So Harry, if you could surf anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? I'll be honest, west, west facing coast of Central America is looking pretty good right now. As in right now, as in like in about half an hour when we finish recording? Sounds good to me. Nice. Okay. (laughs) Let's do the contest roundup. Okay, so on to the contest roundup. We've had a couple of contests take place in the last couple of weeks. So just to bring everyone up to speed, the the star event system for the World Qualifying Series no longer exists. And they now have a new series. Rather than the old seven-tier system, they now have a five-tier system with an even stupider set of names. What used to be one-star events are now called QS1000s. The old two- and three-star events have been bundled together into what are called QS1500s. 
The, catchy. Uh, yeah, so catchy. The four and five star events are now called QS 3000s. The six stars are 6000s. And the prime events are now called QS 10,000s. And then the number represents how many points are available if you win it. I believe sounds that is Sounds like true. classifications of a sports car. It sounds like 1980s computer technology to me. But either way, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's a particularly catchy title for a series of contests. Anyway, point being... Uh, there have been a couple of one-star events that have taken place. The, the big one, though, was a women's 6,000 event in China, uh, the same place that the World Longboarding event was at uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was won by Mahina Meda from Hawaii. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, and congratulations on that. The other fun event was the Australian Board Riders Battle Championships, which took place down in uh, Cronulla. In Australia, I don't know if anyone saw the footage of Tyler Wright getting ground up getting on the uh, smashed that was, into the pool. That was pretty scary to look at. Yeah, so if anyone hasn't seen this, basically it's, it's one of these tidal swimming pools, you know, where they build a big wall of concrete. At high tide, it's covered by the tide, and then at low tide, you've hopefully got this nice swimming pool, flat water swimming pool that you can swim in. Um, and around about mid-tide, uh, Tyler Wright took uh, a wave. She turned left and basically ended up running right over it and then getting her leash wrapped around the, the chain barrier around the edge and then just getting pummeled by a couple of waves. She took four or five set waves on the head. I mean, it, and it wasn't like big wave surfing, but it was big enough that, you know, it was pretty serious, the amount of injury she could have done herself. Her leash was all caught up in the fence and she had to dive off into a wave just to get a little bit of distance between her and the concrete wall of the pool before the wave yeah. smashed her back into the concrete wall. Yes, I such mean, a she, legend. She is so hardcore. And she came up on the beach and she was all kind of like smiles and like, oh, you're all good? And then they chucked her in the back of an ambulance. I mean, she seemed fine. I think they were just going to check her out. Yeah. But I mean, I'm she's already seen. a massive Tyler Wright fan. She and now she's just even more hardcore. into the pool. And it was incredible. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that happened. Um, the, the team from the Snapper Rocks Board Riders Club uh, took the title. Is that Joel Parco's gang? That is, and Joel Parco got that help them uh, help them win it. Um, yeah, it's quite Parker. it's quite a cool little event actually. There's a team event and an individual event. The, the team event is a relay thing. Everyone's got to surf. You got to have at least one under eighteen, at least one woman, at least one masters division. Oh, that um, is a cool idea. And it, yeah, it, it it seems super cool. Um, is it it's sort of the tag team format? Yeah. Have you ever competed in a tag team event? Yeah. They are so much fun. Those are my favorite contests. <laughs> I, like, I like the one where you, you put your hand up at the end of your wave if you've decided that that's the wave you want to be scored Yeah, the at. claim. I, I always find myself finishing the wave with my hands like wavering around my waist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you can see people on the beach looking at you just shaking their heads slowly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the big upcoming event is obviously the Volcom Pipe Pro, uh, which is starting tomorrow. That's a uh, QS 3000 event. Hopefully they'll get some good waves, but there's been some really cool footage and photos coming out of Pipeline over the last couple of weeks. Every time there's a good video that comes out, we post it on facebook.com slash surfing, which is nothing to do with Surf Simply. It's just a page that we run where we basically post videos and whatnot. And I posted on there a couple of days ago that video that you found that's all of uh, the footage shot at Pipe over the last two or three days. And it's really amazing. Amazing. So check that out. Yeah, have you seen the footage from the Dahui contest as well? That was pretty cool. No, we should dig that out and put that up there too. Yeah, there is the there are men's and women's QS events running all the way through the Australia leg. We've got uh, a one thousand event at Burley, and then the six thousand Hurley Australian Open on February 9th, which uh, should be pretty fun. We've got in the junior divisions, we've got the Sunset event going on right now, which. Sh- they should have some pretty big swell for it. So that's pretty exciting. The men's and women's event is taking place. There's a longboard event down in Trujillo in Peru, which is just south of Chicama. 
uh, on February 12th to 14th. And we are obviously still in the waiting period for the Jaws and the Todos Santos big wave events. That waiting period closes on February 28th. So to finish off this week, I thought I would play us out with a nice little soundbite from, it's not really a quote, but it's just a, a soundbite I've pulled out of a video. And it's an interview with Ricardo dos Santos just after he won Wave of the Winter back in March 2013. And, and I kind of like this just because it comes across how enthused he is about surfing, how modest and self-deprecating he is, and, uh, and how stoked he is on, on surfing. And I, I just thought it was a really nice little tribute to him. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Hopefully see you next time. See Bye. You Here you go, buddy. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, man, I can't believe that. I'm I couldn't even imagine like, that was coming from me, you know. Like, I always tried to get it. I always tried to charge as much as the other guys, but it feels like it, the other guys wave always, like, always better than yours. And I don't know. It's just a surprise, for sure. All, all, all the boys, like, they would never imagine like a guy coming from South Brazil, super country place. I'm the only professional surfer in the place, going to Hawaii and get the wave of the winter. So, super, it's super like a tricky. You, you know, you got your space. You know, the locals gonna get a priority. You know, everything kind of works together, and you can't control anything. Once I went to Foodland and Gavin Gillette told me. Oh man, pipe choose you. If you're in the right place, pipe. If you deserve it, pipe gonna choose you. And I always keep that in mind. Just every time that I go out at pipe and off the wall, back door, I always think like, oh, is that the day that pipe gonna choose me? It was around Christmas, so Christmas and New Year's, and everyone went home, went jaws, went somewhere. And pipe was just empty, empty of pros. Just me. I remember Mike Healy. I remember Stefan Figueredo. I remember Walshi. Like just us sharing waves and getting like bombs together it was pretty solid. Pretty like a big day. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.